church. Hope you guys are having a great morning, loving your time of worship together. We're in the fourth installment of the Voice series, and we're talking about engaging the mission. And I want to start off by talking about the fisherman's calling. You know what that is? That's when Jesus walked up to his disciples, a couple of his disciples, and he said, come follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. They were fishermen. He didn't want to change that they were fishermen. He just wanted to change how they approached that and what their focus was. Instead of focusing just themselves, trying to catch fish so that they could make money, instead he wanted them to know him, to walk with him, and to be a part of his mission with him. And in the process, man, their lives got turned upside down in the best possible way. You know, he's always called us into mission from the beginning. When he created us, he said that it was our job to cultivate the earth, to rule over the earth, and to multiply and fill the earth. And in the New Testament, he tells us that uh, the church is to be the pillar and foundation of truth. He tells us that we're to be salt and light in this world. And he calls us to the mission, which is to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey everything that he's commanded. When we obey what he's commanded, then we expand his glory and his image, which is our real purpose, is to reflect his nature and to enjoy his presence. And as we continue to invite others through the mission into becoming part of the discipleship, you know, of Christ and part of the church, then they have the ability also to reflect God's glory. But here's the deal, is in order for us to actually engage the mission and for the mission to actually be helpful, like for people to actually be transformed, we need power. And that's where the gospel comes in. And that's why Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17, it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What kind of salvation is this? The power unto salvation. Not just a salvation about our eternal destiny or something like that, but the, the power unto salvation is the salvation that keeps us from being just self-obsessed and gets us to the place where we can again reveal God's nature and fulfill his call, which is to actually care about the world around us and to care about people other than ourselves and not just get stuck on ourselves. So verse 17, it goes on and it says, For in it, that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In other words, here's the whole power of the gospel. This is what it does. Whatever I'm afraid of, I don't have to be afraid because of the gospel of Jesus. Wherever I'm insecure and I don't like myself and I'm worried about what everyone else thinks or whatever, I don't have to worry about that because God loves me because of the gospel. If I'm worried about getting my nest egg and you know I'm worried about making sure that I get enough money, I, God is my father and he's going to take care of me. And I don't have to obsess about all the things that I'm worried about or about all the hurts and pains because God can heal me, God can provide for me, God identifies me, and God legitimizes me. And as I hold on to that, he sets me free from being focused inward and he allows me to awake into something more beautiful. You know, when, when we have that kind of religion, that kind of gospel that says, it just kind of makes an agreement with God that says, hey God, if you will this for me, I'll do this for you, any sort of contractual agreement, that's not actual gospel. So when it says, like, I want to make sure I go to heaven, so I just say this prayer, and then I go to heaven, well, that's not gospel. I mean, he's not here just to get us to heaven. He's here to have a relationship with us and to help us fulfill our purpose, which is to reveal his glory. So true gospel, true good news, doesn't just change where I spend eternity, 
True gospel is not just about whether or not I feel good. True gospel is about when I'm set free from self-obsession and I'm engaged more deeply in the ability to reflect his nature by being love, by caring for others, by getting past myself. That's the power of the gospel. That's what it's all about. The power of the gospel. True gospel is not a matter of talk. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but a matter of power is what we're told in Corinthians. And that's why in Matthew 18, we're told that the church, whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And that if two or three of us agree about something here on earth, that God will accomplish it. That's not like, you know, my wife and I are agreeing that we want a Lamborghini, so God's going to hook it up. <laughs> That's about us. That's not gospel. You know, gospel is that he called us to be love. If we look at someone else who's in deep need and that need is not being met, if my wife and I agree about that together or if another person at church and I, a few of us come together and we start praying for that person and say, God, provide for that person, he's going to do it. He's going to care for that. That's the power of the gospel. And if we engage in the mission, we will find that God and he will be at work. One more verse I want to share with you. It's, it's in Colossians 4, 5. And it says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Think about that for a second. The best use of time, that's not just about time management because there's, there's two words for time in the Greek. One is chronos. That's like what's here on the watch. That's about the ticking of the seconds and the minutes. you know. But then there's kairos time and that's about when things are right when they're ready when it's the right moment and that's what he's talking about seize the moment one of the things that those fishermen learned when they're walking with jesus is learn how to see the world differently and see every moment as a moment where god was engaged the kingdom was alive and there was all sorts of things to experience and it could have just been the boring ho-hum life but instead like life was exploding all over the place and just a little coin turned out to be a sign from god where you know it was caesar's face on it but it turns out he's talking about god's face being on us and where there's just some fish that's in the sea he brings a coin out of it and where there's all these moments that could be missed but instead with jesus they're engaged and as we engage in the as we go after God, and as we help love others, we're going to start to hear God's voice. We're going to start to see his leading. One, an example for me, I told you guys about last spring. It was right before I was leaving for Indonesia, and I had so much on my plate, and I didn't have any time for anything. And I was going into the store, and maybe you remember the story. The clerk at the store, he started talking to me, and he was talking about his life, and he wanted to share what was going on. And honestly, I was having the hardest time paying attention because I was just thinking about all the stuff that had to get done. And then, like, in that moment, I realized I had this tension inside where I'm like, I really should care about this guy and not just about the stuff that I have to get done. And I, at that point, really started to sense almost like, really, Tim, are you not going to engage in this moment because it's teed up for you? Like, here it is. And so then I kind of was like, all right, I'm going to be present, you know. And then I just listened and I prayed and I was like, God, how do you want me to engage this moment? And the thought came and it wasn't just a me thought. It was a God thought, and the thought was, ask this guy if he's happy, if he's truly happy. Next thing you know, five minutes later, I'm leading this guy into a relationship with Christ. He's weeping, and there's this moment right there, the 
it's awesome, and it's like this guy's being set free, and he's being, you know, coming awake and coming alive because he's entering into a relationship with God, and it's awesome, you know? And that's exactly what it looks like to engage with Jesus in the mission and then to begin to hear his voice. God, today and this week, wants to speak to you, but he's asking you to come with him on the mission, and then he'll guide you and lead you. Josh is going to come and kind of play that out a little bit more now about how we hear God's voice in the midst of mission. I grew up sailing, and I don't Sailing's not a big thing in Chester and Montgomery County, right? We don't have a lot of water uh, that we can do this on, but I grew up on the edges of Lake Michigan, and my grandfather was, he was a, he's a naval guy in general. He was in the Navy, and then he went on to be a sailor, and he had a 23-foot boat when I was growing up, and we used to just go out sailing. And I remember on days when the wind um, wasn't really blowing, you know what that boat was like trying to steer it? the boat was sluggish and it didn't respond. So the slower the boat went, the less you felt the directional shift. You couldn't go here, you couldn't go there. And and, and, on days when the wind was really ripping, and I remember one day in particular, we actually lost our rudder, of all things. That's the steering mechanism on a boat. Six-foot waves on Lake Michigan. Wind was about 15 to 20 knots. And just flying across this lake, and we could not steer the boat. We had to steer with the sail. And then and we could keep it the, the rudder kind of in the middle, but we couldn't actually turn. We couldn't come about would be the proper language. And my grandfather, he is always doing this stuff on a shoestring. The boat was in bad shape. All of my life, that boat was in bad shape. And we had a lot of fun with that boat being in bad shape as a result. He didn't mind us messing around with it. But on the other hand, sometimes you were like, are we going to make it through this thing? One time we actually literally hit a pier, a cement pier with that boat and uh, ripped up the bottom. I can tell you, he shipwrecked one of them. He had two of them. And I can tell you story after story of my grandfather in these boats. But one thing he always told me is like, when the wind is in your sails and you turn that rudder, that ship, that boat, that boat just comes around so quick. The wind isn't in your, in your sails and the boat's hardly moving. That boat does not turn. In fact, it's hard to handle. The more wind you get, the easier the boat is to handle. Hearing the voice of God is a little bit like that. When you're in motion, when you're passionate and you're focused and you know God has called you to this set of goals and you go, God, show me what you want to do. Well, you're moving and, and he starts to direct you. And when you're not... Motivated, not moving, the wind's not in your sails. It's a lot harder to hear God. Sometimes in my life when I think, I haven't heard God in a while. I just feel like I haven't felt that directional shift. There's nothing there for a little bit. I start to go, okay, what do I need to do to get into mission? What do I need to do to just step out? And maybe it's the wrong thing, but once I get in motion, I'll at least know it was the wrong thing. I love, the older I get, the more I love St. Paul. Paul wrote 13 books in the New Testament to seven different cities and to three different individuals and a a huge amount of what we know about the early church we know because of this guy and he was an amazing missionary. You know, we know what he actually looked like. Historical references are pretty clear. He was small and spindly and bald. (laughs) Isn't that great? I just love it. I mean, every picture you'll ever see of him, he's going to be this short little guy. And he, I, I imagine he has just a ton of energy, you know, just spindly little, like, I'm going to talk to you guys and I'm going to tell you how it is. And he was confrontive and energized and focused. And he, he got all over the known world for Jesus. He was a great missionary. And he was motivated even before he met Jesus. And the interesting thing about him is when he started stepping into mission, he started the wrong way. Let me show you what I meant. You know, remember... Paul's early beginnings, they, they started, how did Paul meet Jesus? 
on the road to Damascus. It was actually, here I'll show you, that's the road to Damascus right there. Isn't that interesting? I was there a couple of years ago and I was looking down this road and thinking, you know, you're just riding a horse down that road. And all of a sudden what happened? A light comes from heaven, a voice that Jesus can hear. It blinds Paul. His name's Saul. That's his Jewish name. Paul's his Greek name. But he's going down this road. Damascus is in Syria and he's leaving Israel territory. And he's headed north and, and east and he's headed down there and he gets knocked off his horse and this thing happens. Was he in motion before that or not? He was, right? What was he doing before this experience? You can find it in Acts chapter 9. What was he doing? He was phenomenally motivated. In fact, people saw him as a leader of the Jewish faith. And what was he doing? He was killing Christians. Tremendously motivated. Why was he killing Christians? Because they told him they'd heard the voice of God and he'd never heard the voice of God say what they'd heard the voice of God say. And so he thought, they have to be all wet and crazy, so I'm going to kill them because I'm so motivated. It's really interesting to think about this guy named Paul and think maybe he started following God before he started following God, right? He actually started in motion before he knew what to do. These are some kind of points in Paul's life. The whisper I'm going to talk about is one of those that it just makes sense to me. And you can tell me if it makes sense to you. But, you know, Paul, I don't know if you know this, but in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, it actually tells us he studied with this guy. And the guy was one of the foremost Jewish scholars of his day. His name was Gamaliel. And as a little boy, Paul actually studied with this guy. And I suspect that we don't know this, that he got so ramped up in his faith and so excited about God that he decided to be a very religious person. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't one of those people who was a professional religious person. He was actually from a tribe called Benjamin, uh, which is not a priestly tribe at all. But he actually was involved in this thing where he said, I'm going to go serve the Jewish temple and I'm going to do what they called me to do. And what they called him to do was kill Christians. So he said, okay, I'll do that. The wind was in this guy's sails, and he was going in a direction, and he was motivated. But it all started, I suspect, with a whisper. When I was about eighth grade, I was in this book fair at my little school that I went to, and there was this book. And I, I remember still today looking at it for the very first time. Back then, it didn't feel like everybody knew about this book, by the way. I never heard about it before. I never heard my parents. My mom was a lit major in college. She never heard about this book. And the book was called The Hobbit. The Hobbit, right? Everybody knows about The Hobbit now. There's movies coming out and big multi multimedia presentations and all this different stuff. But, but when I was a kid, it was almost like it had fallen off the radar. It had been really popular in the 60s and 70s and maybe even into the 80s. But by the 90s, it started to lose its, its way. And especially in my community, I didn't know. I picked up this book and I remember showing it to my mom and my mom looking at it going, I don't know if you should read that book or not. It's got some magic in it. It's got some weird stuff. I read that book, and it started me on to this journey where I read all of the books that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote. And I realized that Tolkien had a faith, and it was a deep faith. And he had this amazing, deep sense of a battle that was around him. And he didn't all know how it all worked, but he wrote it into this kind of mystery, uh, kind of fantasy land called Middle Earth. And there's this, I'm not going to tell you about The Hobbit, but I, came, I became a Christian after reading this book, The Hobbit. God can use anything, right? I'm not telling you that the habit is a great primer for Christianity, but I felt a whisper, and I look back on that whisper, and I realized the whisper was that God actually is in conflict for this earth. I didn't know that. My church, my Sunday school class never told me that, and I felt this faint whisper in my life that said, if you will pray, if you will give yourself to this relationship, you will be a part of a world that's bigger than the one you can see. 
And it started me thinking that maybe there's something about our world that looked like that world. Well, I suspect that happened in Paul's life where he realized there was more than just his ordinary Jewish faith. And he started to go, let me see how this could change me. Let me, let me see how far I could go with God. And it led him to literally killing people. One of them, a guy named Stephen, who was one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem, he heard this whisper in his childhood you know, one of the things that is important to knowing the voice of God in the past is, is to look and go, okay, what did God, what, how can you hear him in the things that you were about when you were a kid, when you were a child, when you were growing up? Were there faint whispers that said, this is who you are, and I like that thing? My dad never liked that I read these books. He always said, that's crazy, you're wasting your time. And I look back and I realize that they were part of God's call on my life. And I suspect that Paul actually had some whispers going on long before he had this moment on the Damascus Road. And it was on the Damascus Road in Acts 9 when God interrupts his life and says, hey, you're headed the wrong direction. Your, your sails are filled with wind, but you need to turn around because Jesus really is the Messiah. He really is my son. And what happens to Paul at that moment? It changes him. What else happens? How, how does it change him? He gets filled with a passion to tell people about Jesus. He actually goes to, the, to Damascus, and there's this guy who's a Christian there who's called to pray for him. And as, 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 he's, um, as he's talking with him, um, the, the, the scales fall from his eyes, and he's able to see. And what does he do next? Do you remember? He, he doesn't go to study. He goes out into public, and he starts to preach. The first thing he does after he starts seeing again is he starts preaching and he makes people so mad that he's going to be killed and they actually have to lower him over the walls of the city of Damascus to get him safely out of the city because they think he's going to be killed. He started this life of danger right from the get-go, right from the very beginning. God interrupted his life, said, you're, you're in motion, but you're going the wrong direction. Turn the rudder, and he goes almost 180 degrees the opposite direction. He ends up serving Jesus when he's actually trying to kill Jesus' followers. He ends up serving Jesus, and when he starts serving Jesus, he has this amazing walk that begins, and it's so filled with passion that it's almost seeming like the rest of his life he just keeps going on this one moment, just passion wherever he goes, to city after city, church after church gets planted and started and fed because this guy had this moment with Jesus and it filled him with passion. And he looked back on the whisper in his childhood and the interruption in his adulthood and it set him on a mission that was absolutely amazing. Go down the, go down the storyline a little bit. And there's this thing that happens in Acts chapter 13. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord, this is in Antioch, and, and the, it's just southern Turkey today. He and another set of guys, they're worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit set, it said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And off they went. What do we call that? Remember? It was a missionary journey. Here's a, here's a map that shows Paul's first missionary journey. Israel's in the bottom little area. I'll even use my little laser pointer. This is where this, is where this all happened. Damascus is right up in this area. You see Damascus there, and he's on this road that's headed up by the Sea of Galilee right there when he meets Jesus for the first time. But then he actually settles at a church up here, and he was worshiping with his friends, and God said, set apart for me this guy named Paul. 
And then he gets in a boat and he actually travels and he travels to Cyprus and then he travels to what is, this is all Turkey today, but it was called Asia and Lycia and Lycaonia, Galatia, you know those words. These are all these, these little provinces of Rome and he traveled around there and he made churches. That was his first missionary journey. And it all started with them worshiping in a church service, not unlike this, and God saying, hey, hey, set apart for me these guys. What did Paul do for a living? He made tents. That's almost a metaphor today. We hear it. It's almost a cliche. But what did he do? He made tents. You know what? What, what would that look like in the world of today? If you're a tent maker, then what would it, what, modern translation? No, no, no. I think you're a roofer. <laughs> that's what he did. He put roofs over people's heads, right? Temporary roofs. But, it, you know, that's not different than being a, a tire repair person or being, any number of different occupations. He was just a guy in this church. And God said, set apart from me this guy. I'm going to fill him with a passion. It's going, to, it's going to change the world what happens through this guy. And he sets out on this missionary journey. Well, he has a brilliant idea. And he goes on to a second missionary journey. And it starts like this. Listen to these words and think about how they're different than the ones I just read for you. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, this is actually probably a year or two later, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. It started with these words. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me, Barnabas and Saul. God spoke, right? And look at these words. And after some days, who spoke? Paul spoke. And the second missionary journey of Paul actually starts very dissimilar to the first. He actually says, let's go back. It's a brilliant idea. We all need a strategy, a game plan. We all need to know what we're called to. And what Paul was called to was to lead Gentiles to Christ and to start these churches all across the known world. And he knew that. So he started some of those churches and then he says, well, part of this strategic vision is I think we're going to go back. We have all these things at Parker Ford Church like this. We plan. We have steering committees and deacon committees and church staffing boards and all of these different groups, and they're all kind of setting a vision for where we're headed. And those are all really good. And Paul had a vision, and his vision was good, and it was from God. It was actually to change the world by planting churches. And then he has an idea. Hey, I, brilliant idea. Let's go back to those churches and make sure they're doing okay. Let's go, let's go back next week and the week after that. It's a good idea. It's the, way, it's the way the church has operated for thousands of years. So what do they do? They go out and they, they start heading down the way. But here's how it, it actually happens. And before even this, let me tell you that Barnabas gets mad at Paul and Paul gets mad at Barnabas and they split. <laughs> they actually don't go together after that. Paul goes with a guy named Silas and this is what he does. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. You don't have to remember these names. But then it says this weird line having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. God actually told him, okay, you're supposed to go lead people who are not Christians to follow Christ, and he's going to go lead people in this place called Asia, which is kind of the southwest corner of Turkey today. And let me, I'm, I'm going to go do this, says Paul, and God says, nope. What's that? I call that not fair, Right? Paul had a great idea. He got told, this is my job, and I'm going to go do it. And the Holy Spirit says, no, keep reading. Verse 17, same chapter. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. That's kind of the same direction as Asia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So 
let's go back all the way to the whisper. Paul gets told as a little boy, you've got to follow God. And he follows God and he follows in exactly the wrong direction, but he follows in mission and it's exactly the wrong mission. And it takes him into his early adulthood and God interrupts that mission and says, let me tell you, you're going exactly the wrong direction, but I love the fact that you're so motivated. And he turns him around 180 degrees. And then he starts to do what he's called to do. He leads into this missionary journey and he leads a bunch of people to Christ and he actually starts these churches in city after city after city in what is today Turkey. And then he comes home and he rests for a little bit. He actually goes to a council of of Christian leaders and then he sets out. He says, you know, let's go out again and let's push a little bit further. Both those little places where he was going to go, they're a little bit further in the same direction. And each time he gets to the edge of where he's been, God's going to tell him, nope, not going to go there. He knows his mission, and yet he's listening to the Spirit on the way. And he actually has to be correctable in a teachable location. The big vision of what Paul's supposed to do, if he just thought about the vision, well, then he wouldn't be listening to the Spirit. But for some reason, the Spirit of God is going to stop him and say, no, don't go there. One little verse, that conti- or a couple little verses further. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Was that part of the itinerary? No. Look at it on a map with me. This is the first missionary journey. And you can see Paul just kind of take off and go all over this area. Here is Asia. All right, and Bithynia is up there as well. And he's actually looking to kind of go into this area during his second missionary journey. Watch what happens. This is the second missionary journey. He actually goes like this over land, and he gets, and what he's doing is he's praying at each one of these little spots here, and God's saying, don't go in this area. But do go over to this area. And look with me, if you will. In this area, there's a church called Philippi, and there's another one called Thessalonica. And there's another one down here called Corinth. Do you know those names? Eh, they're, in, they're actually not the churches of Revelation. They're actually on the other side of that sea. You know what those names are? Those are the names of the books of the New Testament. So the Holy Spirit changes Paul's mission right in this area of his life. And we're going, why would you change this mission? And then he sends him a vision of a guy from Macedonia. And Macedonia is right up here. See that? That's where he says, don't go here, do go there. What gives? And the only answer is God had a plan. And there's Gentiles all throughout this area. There's people who are called to worship God all throughout this area. And there's going to be churches planted in many of those places that that Paul doesn't get to, but they're not going to be planted by him. And for whatever reason, God says, listen, let me plant you in these places. And today we have a letter, two of them to the church of Corinth and two of them to the, to the church at Thessalonica and one of them to the church at Philippi. And we could go on. This missionary journey actually comes back and God leads them to go to Ephesus. And we have this book to the Ephesians. When you get in motion, God can lead. And until you're in mo- motion, God has a really hard time directing you. And I love Paul because he's not afraid to make a mistake. And the mistakes he makes, are they small mistakes? He actually killed somebody. And God said, you're a murderer and I'm going to use you. And I kind of like it because you're a murderer in the right direction in your heart and the wrong direction as far as what's actually true. You've blown it, Paul. 
He thought he was following the law and he was doing exactly the opposite of the law of God. And yet God fills that thing with mission and says, let me show you how to go. And then he decides to, on the way, not just give him one big vision, but actually direct his minutes, his hours, his days. I love Tim's story. And the story I, I remember that week when Tim was about to go to Indonesia and he was so stressed out. Every time I saw him, I said, Tim, can I help you with something? He's like... No, I mean, I'd have to pack his suitcase for him. That's too far. You know, Tim doesn't want me in his clothes. And, you know, there's all this stuff. And I'm like, can I do this? Can I do that? Can I take your kids to school? What can I do to help you? And he's like, I just got to press on. And he had this stressed out look in his face as he was going through that week. And then he stops in the, in the store and this man starts to talk to him. And I can just picture him going, I don't want to actually have a conversation about this. And the guy starts weeping and turns to Jesus. I love that story. And what if what, all, that, all that Tim was thinking about was, well, my life school is to share the gospel out here, and my next school is to share the gospel in Indonesia, and he missed, I think that was in Limerick, right? What if he missed Limerick? Can you imagine? So when we're thinking about what God wants to do through us, as we're going and making disciples, as we're kind of focusing on what God would have for us, we have to think, we need him to, to direct us in the moments of our life in the seconds of our life. Let's listen for God to show us, hey, hey, today I have you here to be a doer of the word of God, where you are. And it's not by accident that you're here. And you might, you might actually have to say, okay, this makes sense, but I'm going to be turned another direction. There's this great theologian who wrote about the book of Acts. I'm going to back up to this little line. And he wrote this, and it's kind of crazy language, but he says, the author of Acts shows a keen interest in the dialogue. I love this. You've got to actually have an ivory kind of tower perspective with this, right? You've got to think, I'm a theologian. The, the author of Acts shows a keen interest in the dialogue between human purpose and divine purpose. That means between human beings showing us what to do and God showing us what to do, and human beings being us, indicating that Jesus' witnesses, like Paul, too, must patiently endure the frustration of their own plans in order to discover the opportunity that God holds open. This opportunity may not be the next logical step by human calculation. Do you understand what that means? I know there's a ton of syllables there. But in other, in other words, let me just tell you what it means. You might be frustrated by what's going on in your life. And you might think, hey, I'm not, I'm not seeing the big picture, but you've got to press into what God calls us to because he actually can direct our lives to be this thing that's very counterintuitive, going the wrong direction for the right reasons, and it ends up accomplishing God's will. It might mean you take the job that you never wanted instead of the one you always wanted. It might mean this, it might mean that for you, but God has worked through the book of Acts in counterintuitive ways because people listen to his spirit. Just three touch points to end this morning. We want to end on time. That was one of our goals this week. We're not doing very good at ending on time, and it is actually 10 o'clock right now. So here it is. Listen to the whispers of God in your past. If you want to hear God in mission, go back to the the dreams of your childhood. And when you were a little kid going, God, what do you want from me? Just, just think back there. Maybe there's a call in your life. Because I suspect Paul got called long before the Damascus Road. He got called as he listened to this great teacher who loved the word of God. And yet he didn't hear the voice of God correctly all that way. Wow. Second, get excited about the gospel and what God is doing in the present. Let your winds or your sails be filled with the wind of what God's doing and make sure you're motivated every morning. Just get out of bed and say, yes, let's go. Let's see what God will do. Step into it and expect that he wants to turn you in the right direction once you start moving. Don't wait for God to direct you and then get moving. Get moving and then wait for God to direct you. 
That's really important. Get moving first. Third, daily ask for direction that shapes the future. What are you going to do now with your day? What are you going to do with this little bit of money? How are these people needing me to interact with them? How does God want to step into my life in this way? How do I make my life missional? How do I actually say I'm here as a representative of Jesus? Start by listening to the whispers from your past. Then get going with the, with the excitement and the enthusiasm about the, the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ is so powerful. And third, listen. Just listen. Join me in prayer and then we close. God, we need you. And I love Tim's story about this guy coming to Christ because there's, there's a deep passion for us um, at Parker Ford Church to see people to come to know you. And so we love it when Tim tells us a story like that. But I, I, some of us are going to be called to plant seeds that that person isn't going to start crying in five minutes. But we are going to be called, and we're going to have to develop an ear to hear your voice in the daily minutes of our life. We're going to have to take you microcosmically through our existence. And we're going to have to be with you and expect that you're going to be with us and that we're going to listen to the voice of God and that we want to be blessed to be a part of your kingdom and your mission will work here, wherever we are. God, we pray that you would take all of the things that we're a part of, every job that's represented in this room, every workplace, every school, every family, every neighborhood, and that you would make it a part of your mission. And that you would help us to be people who are deeply, deeply concerned with following you, even when it seems counterintuitive. God, we honor the fact that Paul listened to you and we have parts in the New Testament that maybe wouldn't even be there if somehow we didn't have this guy in our past who listened to your voice as he tried to go to places you told him not to go to. Thank you for the fact that even as he made mistakes, he didn't get down and depressed and say, well, I'm not a good missionary. No, he kept pressing on and saying, yeah, I made those mistakes, but I'm going to keep moving. Thank you, God, for the fact that he was bold and filled with encouragement in the middle of kind of a crazy time when the church was kind of experimenting with things and trying to figure out how to follow you. God, give us that same spirit. Help us to be people who can hear your voice, but who are also energized and motivated and believing that, hey, we might make mistakes, but we're going to go out there and we're going to start talking about Jesus. We're going to start actually managing our money in a way that says we're going to be in mission for Jesus. We're going to actually shape our families and how we spend time in ways that allow us to spend time with you and then with other people who need you. God, shape our lives around this, we pray. And we pray these things as we close in Jesus' name. Amen.